Hello everybody, you are listening to The Who Storian, and I should know that because I am Colin Baker, the sixth doctor. You've got good sense, keep listening. Hello, this is Fraser Hines and you're listening to The Who Storian. Hi, this is Yiji Cho, I play Chang Lee in the Doctor Who TV movie, and you're listening to The Who Storian. Hello and welcome back to the Historian Winterly. This show, I have a good friend of mine, an individual that I have quietly built uh, well over 20 years of friendship with. Uh, when you think about it, it's a hell of a thing. He is the one and only former and probably future uh, local, provincial, international super, superstar wrestler, downtown power, Rick Power. My friend, Rick, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Shannon, buddy. It's good to see you. Good to see you. And... You say 20 plus years. The it's new probably a lot is, more than that. It's probably like the new millennium is 21 yeah. years now. Yeah. Right. We, yeah. we go back. Um, picture it, Sicily, 19. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> picture it, Don Cherries. Don Cherries in the e- mid 1990s. ECW. Yes. Well, actually, early 1990s. That That's would have right. been what? 90. Um, I'm going to say 95. Maybe 95. Say around 94, 95, around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And who did we have supper with? I wasn't there for the time that you had supper with. uh, You're talking about Cactus Jack. Yep. Yeah, I wasn't there for that one. I wasn't there. I've heard all the stories. I wish I I had been there. I got there as he was leaving. Really? 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 Yeah, but you also didn't. You also missed out. That's a whole story where yes, it is. I'll have to have uh, our mutual friend Chris on at some point in time down yeah, the road. He will be able that. to tell you the story. I, yes. I'm like yeah. getting a Don Cherry. So I'm like watching the boys. I'm like, is, is that Cactus Jack? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you you definitely, when I first met you, you were, how long <laughs> into local wrestling were you doing when I first met you? Like in the, in the early 1990s? Not, probably 94. Um, I Sailor told me I was too small to wrestle. Sailor White, yeah. And uh, but he told me I moved a good ring. <laughs> that was pretty much my introduction, <laughs> right? But I uh, mean, Steph figured it out. Um, Your girlfriend, Steph. I'm giving context here. Oh yeah, sorry. That's all right. Uh, I'm I'm a 26 year pro. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, 
I know I haven't act wrestled on an active basis in a decade. Right? Well, I'm not gonna say you still get the fever, right? It's still, <laughs> it still gets you. Like I'm, I'm talking to you now, man. I'm just like I want to lock up with someone. <laughs> and you're wearing a classic BWO, oh, you as you pointed out. It's an original vintage ECW shirt. Yeah, because yeah, we got three way words back for in you. the day. Three words for you. We're taking over, right? No, no BWO nice. for you. Nice, um, nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, I gotta say. Uh, I don't even know where to start now. We were we were gabbing before the camera started. We now were like, gabbing. We were gabbing. But I, I actually, I had brought up to you. You brought up to me, actually, that <coughs> you started off watching wrestling with uh, on Channel 7. You were watching a young Sting, and that yeah. really hooked you on to wrestling. Is he your guy? Oh, yeah. Well, I, like most kids uh, from our era, I watched Maple Leaf Wrestling yep. from Maple Leaf Gardens. with don't you, dare, don't you dare miss it. That's right. And uh, superstars on Saturday afternoons. Right. Uh, and so I got into like, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you, you want to know what hooked me, hooked me for wrestling? When I was a little kid, I sat there with my grandfather. Me and him never missed, never missed the matches. Right. On the TV. <laughs> right? And we were watching Rick Martell versus Dino Bravo. That's Maple a classic Leaf wrestling. match. Maple yeah, that's Leaf a wrestling. classic Canadian match. Right. And Rick Martell had him beaten. He was going down for, you know, and then referee got distracted and Dino reached into the shorts and pulled out the roll of quarters and into the head. Down goes Martell. Quarters go everywhere. You remember that when the quarters went everywhere? Yes. Yeah. When they really sold it. Yes. Yeah. And the pin, one, two, three, Martell lost. He sits up and he's wearing the crimson mask. But now, but now there's an X, 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 you know, all these X's through the face. So you couldn't really see it. I turn, I'm lying on a pillow. On they the had censored out the blood is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So I'm lying on a pillow in our living room. I look back at my grandfather and goes, I'm going to be a restaurant when I grow up. <laughs> Hook, line, sinker there. Uh, and then I was watching the WWE or WWF at the time. Uh, and I I fell in love uh, really with Ricky Steamboat. Like, loved him, loved him to pieces. I loved his talk. We you were there. I was there. Yes, right? I got great pictures with Ricky Steamboat when yeah, he visited yeah. here. Yes. Yeah, but um, he's what, my brother's really? favorite wrestler. He's my, you know, my brother Barry. He's his Texas yeah. favorite wrestler. Uh, and Ricky Steamboat is to this day is still one of my favorites. But like I was saying to you off camera. Because um, the WWE at the time was really name jobber matches, right? So when the on Channel 7, when the UWF came on one Sunday afternoon, and like I was saying to you, Sting and Rick Steiner, managed by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Missy Hyatt, took on to gentleman Chris Adams and Terry Taylor. And Sting did that stinger splash, and but you know everybody was working the match. It just wasn't, it just wasn't like beating down a baby face. Uh, I'm sorry, on a jobber, beating down a jobber, beating down a jobber, and give him one little spot and shove him back down. No, this was wrestling. Like this was four names, and when I saw Sting do the splash, I was just like, oh my god! Like the height he got on it, mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, that's where I was hooked. Lon Sinker, false sting for the rest of his career. Uh, now, when it comes to favorites of all time, um, I got to say, it's for me, it's Sting, it's Bret Hart, it's Ric Flair, and it's Chris Jericho. Like, so you you really do appreciate the um, the technical aspects of wrestling because you're you're listing off some accomplished yeah. technical wrestlers right there. Well, if, just take Bret Hart for example, okay? Uh, the Stone Cold Steve Austin match. Yeah, he had him in strap shooter. WrestleMania 12, 10, something like that. Uh, 12, I believe. 12, I yeah, maybe 12. Uh, he, and he's got it on, and Austin's like screaming a pain. But if you look in Brett's face, he's got the like yeah. he's selling, yeah. like he's putting everything into it. He's just yeah. not standing there, like I got him in this mission move, so I don't really have to do anything. Yeah, he's he's he exerting, like, he's exerting energy. Out. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know, like because he knows he's got a camera on him. That is actually recording his facial reaction. So he's going to have a strong acting performance, basically. Like these guys don't need a script. They do not need to be told, go through the curtain on this moment. Do this when you get to the ring. This is how you lock up. This is the first move, second move, third move, fourth move. This is everything. And this is how you finish. These guys went out. You know, you work out a couple of spots. I'm not saying that. And you always got your big moves. You're getting used but they go out and call a match, right? And I think these matches looked way more believable and people are going to hate me, but then what's going on? Well, right you're now? a heel, Rick, so it's okay if people hate you. That's right. <laughs> but like like when uh, Rowdy Piper versus Bret Hart, right? And, you know, Rowdy had the bell and he's getting ready to just clang Brett with he's, he's just like and he threw it down and they couldn't do it. That was more emotional to me than seeing some guy now doing 15 DDTs and then a few power bombs and the other guy's still kicking out. Yeah, because they told stories back then. They told yeah. realistic, believable stories that played upon your emotions, and now it's just an acrobatics act. Yeah, like um but now tell me about when, before we started, we were talking about, you know, you have such a lengthy career as a, as a wrestler and, and as a local wrestler, I've had, you know, previous shows, I've had Adam Padalon, a good friend of ours as well. Let me through and, my first table. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's tremendous. So obviously Adam told stories as well about uh, meeting Sarah White and getting involved in local <laughs> wrestling. So for you, you had the bug at an early age and was, if there had been no Sailor Roy, would you still have gotten involved in local wrestling in in whatever level it was at? Or did Uh, it take, did it take Sailor to sort of come along and create the atmosphere for you? For me, I, because I like the technical wrestlers. So I knew when I started junior high, we'd be learning wrestling, right? And I was excited about that. So grade seven, when we broke up the rest of the mats, put them around, I got out on the mats. I trained hard, double leg takedowns, single leg takedowns, you know, high crotch lifts, uh, sh- shoot to half, 
everything. I was on those mats, and I was determined to be the best on those mats. Because that's, you know, I was a, I was a mark. I didn't know. <laughs> right? I was probably a mark longer than most people had given up on being one, right? Yeah. And I was practicing, like, referee position, go-behinds, reversals, everything. That's that's the bug I had. Watching people like Bob Backlund, um, uh, you know, all the greats from Nick Bockwinkle, uh, all, you know, the atomic, doing atomic drop and people actually selling it. Um, that's where I got my bug to. That's what I wanted to do. I actually answered an ad in the newspaper in in uh, the classified. Do you remember those classified ads? Yes. All right. Uh, a group of guys in paradise wanted to put together wrestling. That's my, my actual first experience with professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I went out there and their professional wrestling ring was bus seats. You know how the bus seats could be pulled up? The school bus seats could be pulled school up. School bus seats. That was the that was the floor. Wow. And it was in the backyard. This was like backyard wrestling before there was backyard. Wow, wrestling. yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, that's that's some dangerous stuff, Rick. Yeah. That was my first introduction. Um but uh met Sailor, uh got trained. A lot by actually pedal by Adam. Adam pedal, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think you when I actually met Sailor and took in the awe of actually how big these guys are. Hmm. Some of these guys are right. You know, where did he get weighed in? Did he go down to the shipping yard and get on a ship scale <laughs> or something? Like, where did you weigh these guys into? Went off the weigh scales just outside of town. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but after I met Sailor, that was it. I was cemented. That's what I was going to do. I was going to get in that ring. I was going to work it. I was going to, you know, just work as hard as I could, do the best as I could. Um, but I could tell, I could tell the difference between the guys who were WWF fans and me who was an NWA fan. Right. Right. Because I went in there and I want to do things like slingshot. Yeah into the corner, you come out, I come off for a hook you for a bulldog. Right? And they're like, no, that's going to look stupid. I'm like, doesn't look stupid when Barry Wyndham does it. <laughs> right? And they were looking at more of like an Ultimate Warrior kind of theatrical kind of presentation. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. It was all about, you know, like I said, the theatrical presentation. Um, I, I got to be honest, though, I think my favorite, favorite times i wrestled was actually uh there was another young fellow chance Devereaux, right we were feuding and uh he was a high flyer i was a mat wrestler and me and him would talk and i think we had some really great matches uh you know i chop block his leg work on the leg you know so he get up to try to run on the ropes and fall down and you know but we so still, you, it sounds like you put a lot of psychology into it as well, a lot of thought processing. It wasn't just, you know, I, I met some that were in it just to goof off and, and just to screw around um, years ago. And I quickly realized, like I told the story on the episode with Adam, but 
I quickly realized it wasn't for me, but I mean, my skills were more verbal and I was better suited as a, um, as, as sort of a heel manager type of thing. But you sound like you really put an awful lot of effort into, into making your presentation. Like you thought about moves ahead of time. You, you mm. talked to your opponents and you wanted to plan stuff out. That's a rare thing, especially in local wrestling yeah. to, to I, actually do. Like a lot of people don't put that much time and effort into it. Well, me and Chance wrestled each other so much at this point, we didn't even have to talk about our matches anymore. We'd go out and just look into each other's eyes and we knew what was coming. You got to that flare steamboat level. Oh yeah. I, I know like <laughs> I know I you know I'm not trying to say that, but yeah, like <laughs> like uh we always did this one spot where I whip him off, he come running off, duck my clothesline. So I hit the other side. He, you know, and he thought so. We come in, and big double cross body. We both hit. We both hit hard, and we fell apart. You know, and the one thing was, we wanted to hit hard. We were, we probably wrestled more of a Japanese style match for that. Now I know you get what I mean. If people don't, it's a stiff style. Like when you when you when you hit, you're gonna hit them. Yeah, it's it. it's pretty close to real. It's pretty close yeah. to real. And when me and him would finish our matches, we'd be backstage, we'd be beat out. But I always felt like we we did great. Um, and we trusted each other too so much that he could have he could have called a you know a four fifty to the outside and was a go for it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So when but, did it all when, when did it all end for you? Was it just that you moved on to other things, or like because you recently returned? And we'll talk about that. But when did you decide? Okay, I've done enough now. I've been wrestling a long time. I'm just going to give this up and move on with my life. I didn't decide that. Okay, that was decided for me. Uh, me and another wrestler were talking. And I'm not going to name names because some of them are still wrestling. So I don't want, you know, we were talking. And I was like, I haven't heard nothing about being booked on this show. Um, I'm like, well, I don't care. You can throw me in with chance. I know I can pull off match with chance. I don't need to. I know that match can happen. Right. And this wrestler's like, I don't know. He said, I think there's something going on. Right. And uh, that wrestler said to me, if you don't show up to that show, I know something happened. I'm taking over that show. <laughs> so, so I don't know how much of this is lore now because I was told this after the fact. I've never seen the tape. But okay. so I got home and had a message. They knew I didn't get off work six thirty. Never no problem, right? Shows never start till seven, right? I could get off work at six thirty. Still jerk the curtain at seven, right? Not. Go on first for who don't know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there was a message saying, if you can't be here by six, don't show up at all. And that's how I got out of business. But I found out that uh, when I didn't show up, uh, this wrestler went into the ring with a steel chair and a dozen beer. <laughs> <laughs> and at the match, sat down and started drinking. Now, I don't know how much of that's lore. That's just what I've been told, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, as a sort of protest, was it? Yeah, right. Like, I'm not gonna say I was everybody's favorite back then. Um, 
I, w- I was suffering in silence from depression. I didn't know what it was. And so I was very reactive Yeah. at times, right? And I might not have been the nicest person at times because of it, right? So I was a bit hard to take for some people. So, you know, whatnot. Um, so I didn't like the way I left. Like I've told you before, I wanted to go out the way I'm supposed to go out. Flat on my back, counting the three, putting over some kid. Right. Right. I want that kid then to go on and have a great career. Because you, it sounds like Rick, if I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you sort of elevated in your mind that wrestling is supposed to be an art form. And there's a tradition of passing a, the baton to the next generation. And you feel like you weren't given that opportunity. So you wanted to come back and actually do that. Yeah. I wanted to pass, I wanted to pass the torch. I wanted to, you know, uh, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, uh, Scotty Casanova, the supermodel, Scotty Casanova, mm-hmm. local wrestling legend. Yep. Right. Put me over. Uh, you know, uh, we were a short lived tag team. And uh, when we started doing the shows at the COB, I, uh, he, I was supposed to wrestle him again, but I can't remember what happened, but he wasn't able to wrestle. And then I suppose I wrestled Lance Romance, who was a new guy, but I believe uh, Lance had broken his two fingers and couldn't wrestle. So I took on Too Damn Hype, the coolest human being alive. <laughs> Andrew, our good friend yeah. Andrew, too damn hype. And the still one is... of my favorite local characters. You oh, yourself my. and him, you both have the type of gimmicks that boy, do I ever like I would have had merchandise of you guys if I had the ability. Like I, I loved yeah. your gimmicks, right? Yeah, and uh the three of them, I was having the match, uh opening match. Uh, of course, I took credit that Scotty Casanova couldn't wrestle, took credit that of course, wrestle, right? of course you, know, you did. You know, sorry with the car doors, as I said. <laughs> it's all for the gimmick, man. That's great. Right? And then they brought out too damn hype. I was like, you know, selling. Oh no, 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 no. You know, and uh, the three of them put me over. You know, uh, me and Clarky. Clarky was fairly Lance Romance was fairly new, uh, but. Too Dam and Scotty Casanova were set in the local scene. People know who they were. Yeah. People, you know, mm-hmm. and they put me over. And that's what I wanted to do when I was on my way. I want to put someone over. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's a disappointment. So, um, oh, a few years back, in all actual fact, uh, Lance Romance called me up and asked me if I do a battle royal form to help fill out his show for. Newfoundland Pro, I think it was what it's called. Uh, pro wrestling. And I went and did that. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't happy about my performance. It was great seeing Tudan because me and Tudan were tag team partners too. We mm. were Canadian tag team champions. You don't believe that? Go to Facebook. The pictures are there. <laughs> um, and it was great seeing him, right? Oh, man, I was so actually so happy to see him. Uh, so of course, when he came into Rumble, he really mixed it up with me because you know, and he said, Now you take over. Like, he was he was always really good about trying to put everybody over, but I wasn't happy with my performance uh, at that point because uh, I was weighing over 300 pounds, I could barely get my tights on over my backside, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I did the match, super disappointed, 
swore I would never get back in the ring again. Thanked Lance for having me in on the show, shook some hands, and left. You know, and then two years ago, uh, 2019, when the world still could meet in person, yeah, I got a message from New saying, uh, you know, see you're doing in good shape, seeing you lost a lot of weight, you're back in. You, you think you want to get in the ring? Like yes. I always, I actually thought I would say no, but when they asked, I said yes. Not a problem. I'm there. Uh, yeah, so now I, I still want to wrestle one last full match, <laughs> full match, and I want I, I want to put someone over. Uh, you know, just want to do it. And there's but don't a- don't don't skip over you. Your recent uh, foray was in a Royal Rumble style match. Yeah, and it was. How long were you? Did you eliminate anybody? Like, how did that go? <laughs> um, I got in, and. Uh, I was probably eliminating two minutes. <laughs> hey, it lasted longer than me. I'm sitting around yeah. rumble too like that. <laughs> you know, the show has to go a certain way and certain things happen. So some stuff I get called, get called on the fly, which right. I didn't mind. And I, I like, I was coming over and they went for the big high five. So, you know, of course, like, oh yeah, because you're a heel too. Took a kick to the stomach. He goes, you got to go now. We got to change. I'm like, put me over top. Yeah. And then I went because that's the way it works, right? You know, and uh, but that no. leaves you unfulfilled as to a final uh, yeah. closing of the chapter to your wrestling career. I do. I want to. I want to. I don't want to. You know, go and keep on going and going and going. I just want to go in. I want to do that one last match. I want to be backstage. I want my music to be kicking. I want the crowd to be booing. <laughs> I want to go out there. Get in the squared circle and just go and I, you know, and just have an old school matchup, right? Old school, you know, style. Go in and when we're going to lock up my back up and I look at the referee, check, check his boots. <laughs> check his boots over top of the elbow smash. Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> You're such a student of the wrestling history. It's hilarious. Right? Oh, you it's know? great. It's great. I'll I love tell you. It. I'll tell you who was a student, uh, the Paragon of Virtue, another former tag team partner of mine, like just loved tagging with him. It, it was so much fun. Um, and we had the classic tag team, you know, and, but Colin spots with him because he was on the same mentality as me. We get the guy on the, on the rope, say, and we go to it. My goes, Midnight Express, and I knew what was coming. <laughs> Pick him up, flapjack. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, Rick, man. Oh, it'd be like another <laughs> classic was like if one was being beaten down and the baby face, you know, the ref got distracted, this throw the baby face out. Sorry, we're beating down the baby face. The other baby face came in. The referee trauma. I walk in behind the referee. <laughs> Mike roll up. I slap on the headlock. And, and the referee like, I heard that. I heard the tag. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go. For, I don't know how to transition, but let's try. Let's go from your um, your wrestling career 
to something else that you've become really quite good at. And it blew me away when I finally saw it live. My friend, you're cosplaying. You were one of the best looking Hawkman no, no, I think I've ever seen. I helped on that. Gary was the man behind that. Okay. All right. Tell me about this. Can't take credit. Can't take credit. Okay. Um, you know, that was his, that was his idea. That was his baby. Okay. I'll let him tell the story. But I got to say, when I suit up in that, I do feel like I can fly. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. a heck of a, because it's, it's a silver age. I'll tell you now, Rick, I, um, when I saw you at that convention, because that was the last sci-fi on the rock convention that I actually went to. Before um, the, the, before everything closed down. It hasn't yeah, been was, since. It, was it the last one before everything closed? 2019. Yeah, it I guess actually, it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you how I know that is because that's when me and Steph got together. There you go. Yeah, okay. The All right. Um, so when I met you, I was not long removed from being forced to give up my work because of mental health. Yeah. So I was like, you know, on a down, down beat, really, really downbeat path. And I also was taking my friend Sadat <laughs> that you met there that uh, weekend as well. I was taking Sadat, who's from Bangladesh, who had never been to anything like this. I was taking him along, to, you know, showing the ropes kind of thing. And when I turned the corner and I saw you, it was like, it's Rick Power. And he's done up like Hawkman. Classic. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best. There's a picture. I'm going to use that picture, Rick, on this show. That's the one I'm going to use if I can find it. I'm sure you got it if I don't. I Um, do. It's on my Facebook. There you go. It's a picture of you just done up in Hawkman Classic. You've got got the big mace. Like, it's just something else, man. So you're telling me, was that your first... um, was that your first time dressing up in that manner for a convention? Uh, my first time was a Batman one. So it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, the one I think I enjoy the most now is actually doing Brandon Lee's Crow. Right? Yeah, that was the second day of the convention. No, first right. day. You were there the first day. Yeah. Just because, uh, you know, leather pants, long leather jacket, black hair, white face and makeup. No heavy armor. I'm not sweating as bad. <laughs> but, but I mean, there's I'm also not... the connection to Sting as well, your favorite yeah, wrestler, is. right? There's yes. that too. But uh, the one I'm working on for my next one is Nightwing. Do you mean the Nightwing like Dick Grayson's Nightwing? Yes. Dick Grayson's Nightwing. Hey, that's a heck of a thing. That's a heck of a thing. That's And not the Titans on Netflix. Okay. You're going to do a, like a comic version of it? Young Justice, the cartoon. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. I, I really like that one. Uh, yeah. You know, the proper person to get the mantle to bat to, not Damien. Oh, now we're going to have some beefs. We're going to have some beefs, my friend. I um, I've come to appreciate Damien a lot more in recent years because they've handled the character better. Um, I, I got, I agree with you. I just, just jostling around. I, I love I love the Bat family. Uh, if you could actually see the room I'm in, uh, I'm surrounded by Batman pops, Batman statues, Batman buttons. Yeah, you're uh, a you're a Batman fan of you know 
of much renown. And I've enjoyed the fact that you're such a Batman fan because it allows me to talk about Batman with you. I got two Batarangs in this room with me. Was I telling you uh, about oh, and, the... uh, and just not Batman either. Oh, hang yeah, on, what's this? The Space Ace himself. Oh, Space Ace from Kiss, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was I telling you about the um, the ridiculous bait and switch that was the uh, Death in the Family Blu-ray that they actually put out? Um, I, I have it. I've watched it. Oh, you've it. seen uh, it, have you? Okay, yeah, so... Uh, we're on the bit of it. Uh, I liked it, but... But, let me finish. It's not Death in the Family. Right. Right. I liked it. I liked what they did with it. They should have named it something else. Yes, I agree. Right. Because you could see it was the coming of uh, Red Hood. It was op- alternate changes you could do. Right. I don't know if you had the Blu ray or you just saw it. The Blu ray. No, no, I own the Blu ray. I went out of my way to buy it because that's my favorite Batman story. Oh, mine too. Uh, and, but I liked it. I liked it. But it's not Death in the Family. Yeah, it was it was a gimmick. I thought it was yeah. just a gimmick, and they used they recycled some footage from previous releases, which I was yeah. like, "That's just you know, that's cheap and lazy." It's like I wanted a a movie quality animated film based on Death and the Family in the same sense of other Batman films that have you know been just yeah. as good. I, I just did, I didn't get what I wanted out of that one. Well, I'm sure there's going to be something down the road where they do another version, but yes. I didn't get what I wanted out of that for sure. I think the way DC can always explain away stuff is their multiverse. Yes. Yeah. And that's what they get away with, right? Because the TV series are one universe, the movies are another, the comic books are another, and the cartoons are another because they have yes, the multiverse. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though the Crisis on Infinite Earths destroyed that, but they brought it back. It, it depends, too. Like, they've been doing something crisis related since the 50s. <laughs> you know, they just keep that doing different true. versions of crises. Yeah. Um, in reality, though, when you think about it, I'm I'm really heartened to see that there's going to be um, Batman 89 comic books coming out soon, as well as Superman 78, you know, 77, 78 mm-hmm. comics from the Christopher Reeve, no, uh, Christopher Reeve universe. One of the things I noticed was that they made it a point to say that they're going to make a a Robin unique to the Batman 89 uh, comic book, because originally the plan was to have Robin in that movie. Yeah. That to was. me would contradict the other movies in which Robin is in and sort of lock the Michael Keaton version of Batman into his own universe. I would think, in fact, I would hope yes, that that's the would. case. Would, I'd rather uh, there was a Michael Keaton Batman. And then there was, you know, a Val Kilmer universe, Batman and a, you know, a Joel Schumacher's, uh, yeah. uh, ridiculous George Clooney stuff. If they're <laughs> if they're different universes, I'm okay with that. Yeah, so am I. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing this comic book. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Batman '66 comic book. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm actually reading them right now. I got um, the most recent one I picked up on hardcover was uh, Batman '66 meets um, oh god, what was uh, the Man from Uncle? I got the Man from Uncle. Oh, one. nice, the most recent nice. one. Yeah, it's the most okay. recent one I got. And I know that there is a Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77, which is something completely wonky. Yeah. I got to check that out. They're, they're fun, man. They're great comics. I miss when comics were had a sense of fun about them. Comics yeah. sometimes are a bit too grim, you know? Yeah. Uh, Even well, for Batman. Yes. I'm going to talk about comics. I gotta t- since we're talking about Batman, I got to say one thing. Yep. Upstairs. 
because I'm in the back cave. <laughs> On the mantelpiece, I have a Shakespeare bust. You do? Yes, it's beautiful. Yes. Right, it has the button. But one floor up from that, where my bat phone is, <laughs> I have my autographed Adam West Batman picture. How did you get an autographed Adam West Batman picture? What can I say? I'm the man of the hour. I'm too sweet to be sour. Oh, my God. And it says, to my friend, Rick, Adam West Batman. You know what that says? It says, he's my friend. You know what else it says? He touched it. I have his DNA. I can make my own Adam West. Yes. Yeah. You. Um... But, but in seriousness, because uh, I don't want to lose the comic book vibe here, uh, and talking about like fun, right? I collect a series from the 70s. And wherever I go, any comic book store on my travels, I go into to see if they have any issues. Uh, it's called Giant Size Batman Family. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Right. Um, our friend or my uh, Jason Conway, who is no longer with us. Uh, yeah. I uh, actually talked about Jason's passing on a episode of the main show on the historian.ca but yes go ahead uh whenever he get a copy of one of those in because he, he knew what i had right because when i talked to him like i was wherever i found one right i don't know if yet how, how he did it if the man had a computer up there or whatever <laughs> he he knew which ones i had and i didn't uh he would call me up and i go down and get it but uh uh i was in uh, montreal uh, Montreal, Quebec, uh, the home of the fabulous Rujo brothers before they became all American boys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, me and Steph went uh, to Captain uh, Quebec comic store and uh, they had none. So I was, I was sad. Uh, we also caught the Montreal Canadians at the Bell Center. Uh that was my team growing up. Her team growing up was the Philadelphia Flyers. They were playing each other. Her team won. So, yeah, but our flight home got canceled. So we had a flight to Ottawa, then a flight home. So we spent a day in Ottawa. And I said, so we went, got our pictures taken with Santa Claus, because that's what you do in Ottawa. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much all you can do in Ottawa, and, really, you know. And uh, we went saw some parliament building or something they called it. Yeah. Yeah, but then we went to and found a comic book store, and I got an issue of the giant size Batman there, and I got the second origin story of Dick Grayson comic book. Uh, sorry, second origin story of Jason Todd. Is that the one where they just duplicate the origin story of Dick Grayson? No, that was the original. Right. The second. This was the retcon after Crisis. Then. Yeah. Yeah. This is where uh, Batman finds him in crime alley stealing the. The tires off the Batmobile. Right, right. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. So very. They kind of they kind of reference in the um, in the actual Blu-ray that we've seen. Like they yeah. they do have a scene that kind of references that. Um, and then Steph found for me for Christmas the number one issue of Giant Size Batman. How many were there? I'm going to say like maybe twenty. I think there was twenty, and I got ten. They yeah. are not easy to find. I don't think they are very well collected by people. That that's a um I don't know if it was a bi monthly or a quarterly or something. It wasn't a monthly comic. I no, remember that. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh, but it had fun stories in like Man Bat, Bat Imp, 
yeah, you know, yeah. The, the other dimensional of Batman. Uh, uh, Batman, sorry, Robin and Batgirl, because they were eventually going to form the Team Titans from that. Right, that yeah. And was there any ace to Bat-Hound stories? Of course there was. Oh, of course. And there's yeah. also uh, a story where they got Bat- Robin and Batgirl got attacked by a female character who was dressed like the Joker, and she claimed to be the Joker's daughter. Harlequin. Harlequin. Yes, right. Yeah. And later on in that story, she claimed to be the Penguin's daughter. Yeah. So Robin, being the master detective he was, figured <laughs> she has two personalities. She also must be Dula Dent, Harvey yeah. Dent's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I You got to love it, right? You got to love fun. it. It's the best. It was fun, and I loved it. I loved it. I still love that story. Harlequin in, and not Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, yeah. the big word, right? And who actually made that character's first reference in Alan Scott's Green Lantern back in the 40s, mm-hmm. where she wore glasses that hypnotized, and, and she was a bad guy, but she loved Green Lantern and became a good guy. So I've often said, Rick, like, I've been a DC fan probably most of my life. Like, that whole DC, the bullet logo, it's just, yeah. it just, it, it, it unlocks something inside me is the best way to put it. And I've often lamented that DC, they have such a rich history of characters, especially like, as you're talking about, like who, who else would have remembered Harlequin? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The first person I told the story to, it went Harlequin. (laughs) Of course. Look who I'm talking to. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's, if, if you look at it, like those are the type of characters that they should be expanding and exploiting yeah. more so than just the top level A-list characters. Like there's only so many, and I love it all, but yeah. I, I just wish DC would, like Marvel's proving we can make a movie and make a boatload of money about Ant-Man. Like yeah. why can't we, why can't DC make, say for example, wouldn't the character Harlequin make a wonderful Netflix TV series, for example? I think it would. Uh, I was very happy when they created Titans to be truthful with you. Right. And, right. I don't know your feeling on the show. I haven't uh, seen enough of it to judge. I've only seen right. a few episodes. But they brought in some, like, uh, let's say B list characters like Hawk and Dove. Right. 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 Yeah. And they changed them a bit. They, you know, made uh, Dove female, but they explained that because the original Dove got killed. And, and uh, you know, and Jericho and oh, it's such such a if you read Titan, Teen Titans, you know pretty much the story they're telling. They're just telling more modern version, more violent version of it, right? Right, which is wonderful, but that is few and far between because I, I'll tell you, I'm I'm a bit of a dork, as you know, Rick. I um I was the one who pointed out when when they when DC tweeted about how they were finally bringing Shazam to the big screen, I said, well, you're finally bringing it. Yeah. You're finally bringing it to the big screen now, but that was a movie series in 1940 guys. Like, I don't know. I hate pointing that out because it makes me sound like a real nerd, but it just goes to show you that DC has been around a long time and they have, they're just, they're woefully, woefully underdeveloped characters that only us real nerds yeah. love and know. He didn't even start in DC. He started before there was a DC. And he came into their universe. 
Um, yeah, well, they were the first universe to actually have intercompany crossovers. It's true. Okay. Um, and because he was originally known as Captain Marvel, he says Shazam to become Captain Marvel. Right. Because there was Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel. Uh, their uncle was a Marvel, too. Uncle Marvel. Uncle Marvel, right? Billy Batson, little kid, said the magic word, grew into a big... Strong superhero. It, it, definitely one of my favorites. I didn't see the movie. I saw the trailers and I thought to myself, I don't think, I think there's going to be more comedy than anything else. It definitely was. It definitely was. It, it was lighter in tone. I enjoyed it. I thought they put it too much to be dark because DC is making everybody dark. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. They made Superman dark. Come on. DC's default is to make everything dark. Yeah. yeah. That's DC's default. Um, right. So when you're talking about Batman, where did that begin? Because for me, uh, I mean, it began, technically it began with like reruns of Super Friends and seeing Batman team up with Scooby-Doo long yeah. before I, I saw the like, of that. It is. <laughs> I got the Scooby-Doo Batman because it was from the Scooby-Doo mystery movies. Yes, yes, yes. And I had the DVD and the two, two episodes they were on together. Yes, I have that and I have the Harlem, the, uh, the, uh, Harlem Trotters one. Nice, very nice. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. But, like, where did it begin for you? Because, like, Batman has been around our entire lives, obviously, in, yeah. in television and animation and stuff. Did it begin with television animation or did it begin with comic books? It began uh, with Switchback. Oh, I got a story about Switchback. Go ahead, my friend. Go ahead. That started airing here, and they were doing the Batman 66 series. And yeah. now I had already read some of the comics. I had, you know, but I was fairly young at that age too, and I'm from a small community, so getting comic books wasn't that easy. It's still not easy. No. Um, uh, but uh, so I saw that and I just fell in love. Like uh, I know they say it's campy, but that was the comedy style at the time was camp. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I fell in love with it, um, and as a kid that was bullied a lot, I just. I felt more empowered by watching it. Right. Right. And um, then uh, my mom started taking me to the Captain Quick store in Pooch Cove on the way home from school. And that's where I, they, I started seeing the comic books and they just started grabbing the comic books. And that's how I started collecting comic books. Cause uh, mom would buy me. We didn't have a lot growing up. I, I came from a fairly poor family, but comic books weren't that expensive. Right, she'd get me at the time. I think they were like twenty-five or thirty cents. Yeah, yeah, about that. For a dollar, she'd me like three or four. Yeah, right. And I just started compiling them. I started with Batman. Then I was getting Superman. Then if they weren't there, I was looking to see what else they had. Got Captain America. Got Spider-Man. Got Hulk. Got Fantastic Four. Got all of a sudden. Then I saw Justice League of America. I got that, and you know. It didn't matter at the time it said Marvel DC. I just got it, read it, fell in love with it. I can tell you, storylines from that era, like, if they happened yesterday. Um, yeah. But the love for Batman never stopped. Uh, well, my love for comic books never stopped for Batman. It just grew. Uh, just, uh, I don't even know how to say it, like, I know he was rich when I say it, like Bruce Wayne's rich, but Batman didn't have superpowers. He wasn't Superman. He couldn't fly. 
He didn't have X-ray vision. He wasn't even Captain America, who had steroids. I mean, the super soldier serum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this was a guy who worked out, worked out, trained, trained, and trained, and became a super, a vigilante, but a superhero nonetheless. He became right? something attainable. Yeah. You know, take away, like, the fancy gadgets, the money got him. Like, he was a master in in so many different disciplines of martial arts. Um, he had a keen mind, right? You know? So I think that's, I saw a bit of a attainability. Like I said, because I was a bully kid, so I thought if I worked out and that and trained, that maybe I won't be as bullied as much. Right. Right? Maybe I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's but, the worst... Yeah. Listen, that happened to me too. You know, like I, I, myself and our mutual friend, Steve Lake, of which I've done, you know, a podcast for years and years with, we've often talked about how as much as we would be bullied for being nerds, in reality, the nerds inherited the earth as time yeah. went on. Like everybody now looks at the Elon Musks and the, and the Bill Gates of this world for answers. You think to yourself, these were the nerds that were being picked on. They're just like us. You know, they were being picked on. And I've often noticed with, with a great deal of both satisfaction and a small degree of disdain, uh, Rick, that the very people who used to knock me into lockers for being for bullying me for being a comic geek are now taking their own children to go see the latest billion dollar, you know, Marvel yeah. movie or DC movie. So it says a lot, right? It says a lot just how much the world changed and how it just turns out we were right all along. We knew the value of these things. We knew the themes and how much they meant to us and how how they could be really inspiring stories. And uh, we knew it before they did. That's all. And uh, a friend of mine made an observation to me one time that never actually left me. Um, I shouldn't have touched my screen then. <laughs> um, I was saying to her, you know, we were eating at a place called Henry's Lunch up by Booth Memorial went to high school. Right. I said, we're eating at Henry's Lunch. She said, all the cool popular kids are eating at Mary Brown's. And she looked at me, she goes, I thought we were the popular kids. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, they all know our name, but we don't all know their names. Very well done. Well, I like that. Yeah, she's right about that. I like yeah. that. Um, I can tell you that when it comes to switchback, I think that might very well have been my entry point into, I'm guessing it must've been my entry point into Batman 66 because they would play the clips on a switchback episode. And of course, switchback for those who don't know was like, um, a Canadian sort of, uh, how would you characterize it? It was like a pop culture show yeah. back in the day. It was yeah, and a little bit of was, everything, really. It was like a bits and bits and bites kind of show, you know? Yeah. And it, it we had the Halifax feed. Yes. There was another switch back in Winnipeg, another one in BC. Like That's true. Yes, you're right. It was like it was whatever house, I guess, whatever uh, house uh, work was being done by whichever regional CBC production yeah. company, for sure. Um, yeah. But it was great because it gave the introduction to Batman 66, introduction to music that I'd never heard of. Yeah. It's the first time I ever saw a Quiet Riot video was on that show. 
Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, Stand the Man, Rufus and Gorilla. And the wow, you're bringing them, you're bringing back some good memories now. You you're dropping some, you're dropping some real references. Yeah, yeah. I wrote him a letter and got the T-shirt. See, now I was going to talk about that because, um, I was actually at. Do you remember? I don't remember her name, but was it Eric? It wasn't Erica M. From it was Melissa music. somebody who was like the last host of that show before it was canceled. Okay, I know. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. had like blonde hair and she was like, she went on to be with much music, I believe. Yes, she did. And uh, she cut the hair of Christopher, well, I can't remember his last name, the singer from the, from the Black Crows. She cut, cut his cut bangs into his hair on much music. Okay, well. She was at the Avalon Mall when I was maybe, I don't know, 12, maybe. Yeah. And I put my name in a draw to win <coughs> a shirt. Nice. Now, let's let's go back in time here. This The only way you were going to get anything switchback related was you had to put your name into a draw. Or like you yep. said, you got to like write a fan letter. This is back in the early 80s, you know. Yeah, so, and they pulled the letter. They, if they read your letter on air, you yes, yes, you get a shirt. So this was the only way I was going to get a shirt. So it happened to be that they called while the family was making supper and I got on the phone and everybody said, get off the phone. Like, you know, we're making supper. They can call back after supper. Yes. Right. You didn't talk on the phone during supper. Right. You know, exactly. And what happened was, of course, this was the person who said I won and telling me to write down the number and address where I could pick up my free shirt. Nice. I didn't write it down <coughs> oh, 30 no. seconds after I'm being berated for interrupting supper by my parents. So I've never let them forget that to this day. I would either forget that. So whenever, whenever the word switchbacks comes, comes along, yeah. I get kind of triggered, Rick. I get kind of triggered. I bet you do. <laughs> that was such a piece of CanCon. Like, Oh, it really is. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. It's CanCon. And they used to put, and it wasn't long. It would be like, I don't know five or six minutes of a little snippet of Batman 66. And you have to wait till the next day to see even more. Yeah. They could get and so much mileage out of one episode. You would. Um, they, uh, they also, they had the Jeff Healy band on for an interview. And I couldn't get over the Jeff Healy playing guitar. Uh, they had um, an escape artist hang upside down in a straight jacket. Like, it really it was, was a, a heck of a show, man. It was, it was, it was really show. something else. Yeah, yeah. it was something yeah. else. Did um, you um, did you tell me once, or maybe I'm getting the story mistaken, but didn't you tell me once that you had a chance, or maybe you were on Skipper and Company at some point in time, that there was something on the go with you could have been on it or you missed out a chance or something like that? No. Uh, for me, it was my, my I believe my cousin was on it. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, CBC had an open house, right? Where you go in their studio and they had like uh, Shirley Newhook from Coffee Break. <laughs> I love Shirley Newhook, man. I used to love uh, her. And then and you just go around, you pick up their pictures and they autograph them. But when I got the skipper, he was already gone. Oh, now. Skipper, for those who I'm sure outside of Newfoundland <laughs> and outside of a certain vintage of age, 
um, would not have any idea what we're talking about, but we're, we're really geeking out now over some, some classic local things, but, um, but I did send in my letter and they put my picture. Cause you remember they used to open up, you put a picture in, they put yes, it on the board. Yes. Yes. Put my picture on the board. So you got a shirt then. For Skipper and company. I know. I didn't no, they didn't give them. you a shirt. No, no. So when you sent in the letter, the whole point was just to get the letter read. Yeah. And your picture oh. put up on the wall. I don't know if later on they may have done that shirt. They, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I have, Vague memories of Skipper and Company. I, for whatever reason, I always associated, and I'm sure that I'm just getting old, but <laughs> I always associated you with the story of, you know, could have been on a type of thing, but I guess I'm mistaking it for somebody else. But no, you had to be. I, I never, I, I was, when I was in junior high, they did try to see about getting a song from McDonald Drive Junior High Music Ensemble, mm-hmm. but it didn't happen. Right. It never went much further than us talking about it with the teacher. Okay. Right. But now, you have been in an awful lot of local St. John's Metro history, Rick, because you're like, I don't know, man, you're like, the, you're like the connecting point to like 600 local musical bands. Like if I need to, like, you should write a book because anybody who could, you have memoirs to write about just knowing all these bands, dude, like I'm from Mount Pearl. So I didn't grow up with, you know, a lot of the local bands and the musicians and stuff. It wasn't until I started hanging out with people from town and visiting town more often and going downtown. And I'm from Pooch Cove. So yes, but you really embrace that. Like, you know, like I would go to you and say, well, who's cool. You know, what bands is all about? Tell me the story. Where did that all begin? Because you're, you're you're like Mr. Music, dude. <laughs> um, I've always always had a huge thing for music. Um, started playing guitar when I was young, not very good. <laughs> um, I was in the Kiss, Motley Crue, ACDC, you know, your typical heavy music, and then I got started school in St. John's. Right, uh, because at that time schools were done either under Avalon Consolidated or a religious school board. Yep, I'm the religious school board side of things. Well, since I went to Avalon, I had to go to St. John's for junior high and senior high. Right, and that's where I started meeting people who went on to a lot of these bands, like uh, Paul Cernu, who played in. Liz Band, um, he he's playing in Bung now on the reunion shows, um, and I was skateboarding at the time too, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I just so happened one year, uh, made a couple friends said, "Let's go skateboarding downtown," and we went to Banner Park because they said there was a concert on the go, and it was this concert called Peace Accord, right? And I'm sure you heard a piece of chord. I've been to several. Yeah. yeah. So well, annual the, annual event. This was the early days, and I got exposed to uh Fish and Rod, um Thomas Trio and the Red Albino. And I just just fell in love with the music, and then I just started hitchhiking St. John's <laughs> to see bands play. Uh I saw Spirit the West play piece of chord. 
And throughout this entire process, because it's obviously, as, as I'm sure you know, it's really expensive to produce albums. So a lot of the musicians that I heard, when I would see them, they would have maybe a T-shirt or something, but yeah. they'd still be working the money up to try to get an album produced. And it would take a while for them to do that. Like when you listen to these music musicians, did it matter to you that they had an album out or they didn't have an album out? Were you just matter. all about the live music? I, I tell you, to this day, the local band Bong is in my top five all-time favorite bands. Wow. Okay. Right. Okay. To me, to me, Bong are just as big as Kiss. Just as big. Wow. As <laughs> wow. To me. Wow. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, Bong. You just. You didn't go to a bong show. You went to a bong experience, right? You know, they just really spoke to me. And, uh, yeah, I didn't care. They didn't have an album. Uh, I had their T-shirts. And I remember when they put out their album, uh, their first one, they put out two. They put out bong. uh, Album name was Hole, W-H-O-L-E. And they had the, the CD release party down in Sam Shades. And I'm telling you, because I know Sam Shades is a legendary bar in uh, in in downtown St. John's on George Street. So went to the show, and you were you've been in there. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say, let's just say, I've been the same Shades. Yeah, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes, I've been the same. It opens into a room, right? And the boys were up on stage at the back wall, and the mosh pit went from the start of the stage all the way down to the hallway to get out. Wow. Right. So like, were they, were they like the premier band in St. John's Were were they the, like if somebody who's listening to this, cause I, we have a lot of listeners that are going to obviously not be from Newfoundland. Yeah. Um, if there's a band you would recommend that you would say, this is a good starting point for what a typical or maybe even a typical sound of a man would be from Newfoundland. Like historically, where would you go with that? Oh man. Uh, the one interesting thing about the St. John's music scene in the late eighties, early nineties. Okay. Was there wasn't a sound. They all had their own sound. That's true. That's very right? true. Yeah. Bong described himself as raunchy rock and roll. Right. Uh, Thomas trio was a funky band. Hardship Post was the alternative rock style of that era, the Nirvana, right. the Sloan that right. style. Potato Bug had yet another sound. Chevy was kind of like a throwback Led Zeppelin type of sound. I was I'm looking at a Chevy sticker right now. <laughs> and I was just gonna say, like, Chevy uh had this Black Sabbath sound with a Led Zeppelin sounding singer. Right, right. Yeah. No, sorry, right. that's a bad way to say it. Because Steve sounds just like Ozzy, but he had he looked kind of like Robert Plant with the way he dressed. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right? Steve sounded just like Ozzy. Oh my God, it's scary sometimes. But uh, yeah, like after forever, straight up metal band, and that's actually what I liked about the scene back then. And I'm not talking about the dollar amount because we're talking about the nineties, five bucks. Even though I thought that was cheap back then, for five bucks you would see Bong who were like heavy, heavy, uh, raunchy rock and roll, like, you know, playing with Chevy, who were 
Doom Rock with Potato Bog with Ditch, who were nowhere near like then. Ditch were Jangle Pops, they called it, like almost like a like a British pop type right. sound, right? On the one bill. How could you not love that and get exposed to all this different kind of music? Right. Now I don't find the mix happens so much. Now I find punk bands will only play with punk bands, metal bands will only play with metal bands. Maybe I'm old. Right. Well, I mean, I also think it has a lot to do with the the auto tone era of today where music is not so much performed as it is, you know, is it programmed? Um, and I think that that from what I can remember seeing a lot of local bands, sometimes through a beer induced haze, sometimes I see some of those local bands downtown. But from what I can recall, um, I, I absolutely thought that there was a lot of talent that deserved oh. to go a lot further than they did. And they were very limited in the fact that geographically here you are sitting in St. John's, Newfoundland, who's going to hear you other than the Newfoundlanders. And it's really too bad because I've heard some great stuff come out of Newfoundland. I'll tell you, my, one of my favorite local bands is drive. You remember? Oh my God. Right? Driver. Amazing. Yes. Yeah, so I love drive. Love drive. Oh man. Badstone. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, he went, on, he went on to be, you know, like a, a DJ on radio. Um, Sean Panting is Sean Panting is a wonderful solo solo singer, a wonderful solo singer. He was and on an the Doyle. Yes, and an actor. And, and I just Adam. think that it seems like a lot of Newfoundlanders. I, I won't speak for all Newfoundlanders, but it seems like in Newfoundland, there's the emphasis on Great Big C and everybody else. Do you know what I mean? It's, or it's the emphasis on traditional music. Right. I was just about to say, or it's about traditional Irish music, but yet there's such an eclectic mix and always was of these bands. Like when I first met you, you were decked out, man. You rocked it, right? The long hair, you had the trench coat, or I should say the leather coat. Like I could tell this guy is a denizen and a lover of everything local in St. John's. We used to spend time, if you remember, we would go to... um, Coca Manga, do you remember oh, going to Coca, Coca Manga? Man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I was telling Steph all about the Coca Manga. Right, yeah. Right. And have a Java. I would see you and have a Java all the time. Yeah. Having a big, big slurp of coffee. So that was a very unique St. John scene, and it doesn't seem like again, I'm I'm out of it for decades now, but it doesn't seem like it it stayed that way. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't. I don't know what became of these bands other than they became nostalgia acts, I suppose. But it's really too bad that a lot of this music was not properly characterized and was given a broader audience, I guess you could say, especially now when you could just do music online now, right? Like you could. Oh, the boys, like the boys, the girls, them, they, all the people, didn't matter. Uh, just look for a politically correct way of saying it because you don't know anymore. Right. Um, they all had to work so hard to put out an album. You know what I mean? Like, because they had to book studio time. They had to book everything. Right. It costs so much money. Now, you can get a soundboard program for your computer where your computer is a soundboard. Just all that. You can record into your computer. You can, you know, it doesn't sound as good as getting a professional to do it. But for a couple hundred bucks, you can produce your own CD. Or you could do a video that you could immediately put on YouTube for the world to see. Yeah. Now, if you want to talk about 
because you're asking about a good introduction, uh, like I would say, listen to Bump, right on. But there was this cassette tape that was put out back in the day, back in '95, I want to say. It was a compilation, and the boys fundraised. I was a volunteer on Danger Falling Rock. Mm-hmm was the name of it and it was a slice of the music scene at the time chevy rana after forever dread heavy liz band bong ditch pop belly darshiva uh pop master sterling slacks Cabman, ched uh, <laughs> ad lib you're going deep man you're going right? deep do you think that do you think that the music scene here back in the day, Rick, like, okay, <clears throat> I can tell you that the the Doctor Who scene, the local Doctor Who scene codified around the magazine. We got yeah. to know each other because of a magazine. We all got together because of it. It didn't seem like there was like a Rolling Stone magazine for local artists. It seemed like if they weren't mentioned in the Telegram or the Herald or, you know, like there was no you didn't know them as people, you know what I mean? Unless you were someone like yourself who was very invested in that, in that culture, into that underground system, there was no, I, I wouldn't have known who these people were if I didn't know you back in the day and you telling me who these people were and telling me what the good bands were and stuff. It just didn't seem like, you know, do you think that if there had been um, more of a focus on like, for example, Halifax does a wonderful job on really promoting their local art scene and their local music scene. It doesn't seem like St. John's has done an adequate job of that over the decades. There was, there's been a few fanzines that were done. Uh, probably my favorite was Granite. Okay. So you're saying there was an effort to make that stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Granite by Krista and Judd. That was, you know, they really promoted the local scene. Um, one thing about Newfoundland uh, is, is, like you said, it's this geographic location, and it doesn't matter what it is you're into. We're an island where the majority of our population is on the Avalon. Right. All right. So you live in Halifax. You play Halifax on Friday night. You drive a bit. You play another town. You drive, play another town. You got three right. three nights. Right. Yeah. St. John's, you play St. John's on Monday, uh, Friday night, drive across the island, hop on a ferry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you got to pay the ferry, uh, pay for the ferry, your gear on the ferry, the car, everything. Yeah. Not just yeah. everyone load into a van, put some gas and go to the next gig. Which is the same reason. And I've said before, it's the same reason why it's difficult for us to get anything here, like whether it be great musical, big name musical acts or anything really it's difficult there, there's even been there's been a lot better attempts at making a local film and television production uh groups here but i mean that wasn't something that happened very that that took a while to, to get traction too right like I, I can remember for the longest time like codco was the only really locally produced television shows here you know land and sea and land and sea, yes, of course, land and sea. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's it's you know it's it's difficult and it's limiting for creative people. And I I do love and embrace the idea of 
being able to transcend the geographical boundaries yeah. by going online. Like myself and Steve Lake have had people on the show from other areas of the world and we're heard in other areas of the world in ways that I never would have imagined back in the day in the nineties thinking if it's just me talking about Dr. Who and somebody down in like Texas, United States is listening to it because until radio the, you know, back in the nineties, hoping that someone was listening. That's right. Yeah. Like that's all we had, right. That's all we, right. we didn't have any of this, you know, cool stuff now. And I just, I don't know. I think that it's too bad that that entire generation of musicians that you loved and that I liked a lot, that it's, it's unfortunate that they had their peak at a time when they weren't going to be given a, a, a good appreciation thanks to the internet and things like that, you know? Yeah. Well, I remember, uh, you remember much East? Oh yeah. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah much East. Yes. Yeah. Mike Campbell. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, which is like, 19- you know, just to tell people much music is like our, I, I call it our MTV, but I've always thought it was better than MTV. Me too. Yeah. Um, but back in the, I'm going to say 97. I want to say 1997. Right. Okay. Uh, much came here and they did filming at junctions. Uh, they did, I think it was 12 band, 24 bands in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. They had both floors going. The loft put off a showcase of Bong, Liz Band, and them. He was there. He went to Peace Corps, filmed some of that, interviewed all the bands, and it was it was a great piece on Much East, right? Um, really liked it, really loved it. Uh, still thinking about it to this day. It was so good turning on much music and seeing like that's that's John that's that's Liz that's Jeff right mm. it was great seeing them because I, I thought they all deserved it and I think they all deserved to tour the world right? yeah yeah you know just like you deserve your your final match right <laughs> and with that uh, my friends I'm going to wrap it up I don't think it's going to get any better than that um uh, is there anything you want to tell anybody Rick anything you want to plug promote any message you want to get out there uh, just, you know, uh, to be honest with you, uh, being someone who's suffered from depression for an amount of years and anxiety and all that, uh, I know we're in a pandemic right now and in all honesty, if you're feeling in any way, shape or form, call somebody, reach out to a friend, call a helpline. You're not alone and we all love you and stay safe. I want to uh, want to thank you for that, man. I uh, appreciate that, and I echo it uh, for sure. One of the reasons, and I've said this more than once, one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast was just as a creative outlet um, because, unfortunately, I wasn't going to be doing any new shows with, uh, with Steve uh, Lake. So I wanted to forge ahead, and I, I, I embraced the idea of talking to people that I just never got around to and, and really should have. It's my own fault. But I always wanted to get around to having good friends on the show and talking to people and catching up on things and yeah. just just having a nice list of people that I can look back on now and say, hey, remember that time I sat down with with so and so and we had yeah. to, you know, we had some laughs and stuff. So I really appreciate that, Rick, and I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. 
Uh, I appreciate your passion for things. I love, I've always loved the fact that you were so passionate about things, you know, and I, even if it's stuff that I don't care about, it's, it's still, it's still, I just, I, I, I love that passion and you're a, uh, you're a local hero, man. Everybody knows the ET power. Right. And, and especially people of my generation and yeah, I got to tell you, man, it was a lot of fun and uh, stick around after I'm done and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end this now, but stick around after we'll chat for a bit. And yep. um I want to thank you, sir, once again for coming on. We didn't thank even talk about Doctor Who. We didn't oh. even talk about Doctor Who. Oh, and, I got my, fun. and I got my picture back there. Let me see if I can move the computer. Yeah, do that. Do you see the TARDIS lamp and the Doctor oh, Who I picture? Do. <laughs> I do, yes, yeah. I'm going to have to have you back on to talk about yeah. all things Doctor Who, for sure. Oh, for sure. All right. Um, I didn't get to show you my autograph sock. Oh, what autograph sock? What are you talking about? It's Mr. Sacco. You don't have an autograph, Mr. Sacco, do you? I say good night to you. Oh, you do too. And a beautiful Chevy sticker there. And a psychosis mask from Mexico. And a psychosis mask and a Wolverine mask. Oh, my God. Yep. <sighs> All right. over with. I'll, we'll let you go and I'll stick around to talk for a bit. All right, Mr. Power. Uh, once again, folks, uh, I'll see everybody around the vortex next show.